favorite number, 269. <clears throat> you get two and 69. Barry, you see what I did there? Thank so, you. I like that. Thank you very much. So on this edition, I almost said special edition, because really, aren't they all? Uh, edition of Breaking Cave People with Bowdrin and Barry. Barry Rose, we are going to have some people that may get an erection just from the time I tell them. Our match of the week is an NXT match. Boom! Right there. We're not going back to the 50s, 60s, or even the 40s. We have a relatively recent match, Barry. What do you think? I think this is pretty exciting. We don't just have a recent match, Jeff. You have got the recent match in a lot of ways. We have the first ever five-star NXT match that we'll look at. So I know you'll all be very excited about that. Besides that, Barry, here's what else we have in store for you. We have. Oh, let's see here. How about we talk a little Florida man or not? Oh. We talk top 10 movie plot twist. Plot twist. What? Plot twist? Yes. Also, Barry, we're going to offer up the world's worst toilets. Barry, there's a guy that's actually written a book, and this is right up our alley here, Barry, that we're going to have to have this guy on. Uh, there's a guy that did a book. Uh, he went and I don't mean just like in this country. This guy like went to friggin' uh, Tajikistan uh, or whatever. Uh, some of those remote countries uh, and the, <laughs> they, uh, well, whatever. Yeah, you know. Yeah, right. But uh, uh, and went and found some really horrible toilets. Uh, and it's not just for eating bad Mexican food or something like that, or bad Ethiopian in your case, Barry. But uh, it's a, it's kind of a fascinating discussion. And we have photographic proof that we will put on our Facebook group, Breaking Game Paper, Bowdrin and Barry, of the world's worst toilet. And uh, I have to tell you, I showed this picture to the sainted Mrs. Bowdrin the other night, and I said, yeah, look at this. And she's like, oh, yeah, yeah. And I said, yeah, yeah, that sheet, uh, you know what they use that for? And she goes, is it what I think? And I said, yes. And she goes, okay, yeah, I can see where that one. So we're going to get into that discussion. So let's see. Uh, oh, before we begin, Barry, with our match of the week, Barry, I understand that you have an announcement about CWF Legends Fan Fest uh, 47. What's the number, Barry? So it's, uh, it's 10. It's like, it's bigger than WrestleMania 10, which took place in Madison Square Garden. It's CWF Legends Fan Fest. Does that mean Bret Hart's going to be the special guest? Are you in negotiations? Wouldn't that be amazing if I could afford Bret Hart? Uh, Fenzer's going to put out that kind of money? No. No, that's not going to happen. He is getting uh, a lot of work, so maybe he's saving up. (laughs) Maybe he is. We are, uh, we're looking at June the 3rd, which will be Saturday, June the 3rd of 2023. We will be, uh, we have, we are about 95% close to signing our headliner, Jeff, which remind me to talk to you about that off air and then I'll explain why. Uh, but we have signed three guests so far about to sign. So we've signed, I should say, we have signed the cup of coffee, the breakfast, which will be two guests. We are gonna this close to signing the headliner. We have got a first timer that is maybe one of the most requested names that'll be doing the show. And then we hope to wrap all of this up by the end of the week and have tickets on sale ASAP. So very excited. Was not sure we were gonna do another one. A lot of factors. Uh inflation is probably the biggest factor. But I gotta say, and I, I wanna thank uh I'm not gonna I don't want to mention them publicly, but a bunch of people did reach out to me, and I guess I have made the comment if there's another one. And I look, I've said that multiple times. I think you've said that after every single one. I have, and even even look, 
my my own girlfriend, the lovely Linda, spent 20 minutes and was roasting me yesterday and mocking me and doing impressions of me when I do this. I deserve it, so I can take it. But I even said it after the first one that I, I don't think I could do this anymore, and I keep doing it. The reason I keep doing it is – a, I have a great time when I'm down there. First off, I get to see you. I get to see Pete Letterberg, Bobby Van Cavalar, people that I've known for decades that I don't get to see on a daily basis. So the fact that I can get together with my old friends means a lot. The are, fact are there that some I, people without mentioning any names that you're not happy to see? No. Well, let me well, say, uh, well, okay. I'm saying, okay. no, but I, it's the truth is, uh, as much as I, uh, I get to see old friends, I then get to see our newer friends and people that we've known maybe the last three to five years, 10 years, whatever it might be. And the wrestling aspect as well. Plus I love being in Florida, right? So I was really, uh, I went into this last fan fest. And then we'll discuss the pattern that does occur at every event. I went into this last fan fest and I said, this is pretty much going to be it. And it was really twofold. One is we need more support. You know, it's, it, I don't, to me, it's not about making money. It's about not losing. But at the same time, I do drive. I stay in hotels. I do, you know, to come down there. I don't have a house down in right near loot. So I need to at least yet, yet. And loot's maybe where I'll wind up. I don't know, but. It's something where I think we need it, and I, I I can't ask the brothership to come through anymore because they've come through tenfold. There, the brothership is there, and they're there to support us, and and they have been. You know, whether it's the fan fest, buying books, whatever it was, they've always been there. But we need more local support. We need more support within the metro of Tampa and surrounding areas, and that's where I think this would uh, this would make this even more of a compelling fan fest. The other, and that, a lot of that I put on Penzer, as I've discussed. It's you live in the area. There's a, an independent wrestling show every weekend. Get out and make it happen. But I feel that if uh, if we had more local support, it would be great. And then, of course, I get frustrated with Penzer. And I usually get, as the pattern goes, Jeff, and I, you and I did talk about it because you were giving me some shit, and I deserve it. Who, me? The, yeah, but it, let's be honest. I do deserve it. When the event takes place, and I'm talking about Saturday, because Friday I'm still a little jittery, Saturday I'm in all my glory. I could be no happier than walking the floor, talking to people, you know, getting autographs, all that shit. I love it. It's absolutely, uh, it's one of the highlights of my life. I just absolutely love it. Sunday I'm on a high. I'm then on a high for the next week or two as we start to discuss a future event and get talent, et cetera. And then from the period that the talent is booked until the event takes place is when I curse on a daily basis and say, why the fuck did I do this again? And half my frustration should half. 75% of my frustration comes from Penzer, comes from uh, having a partner that we don't always see eye to eye. So that's a lot of it. But again, once these events take place, I am so happy. And look, we... That that last wrestling show we were at, Jeff, we had the best time, you know, with Jimmy Garvin. The last two times have been great. So I do love the direction that it's going with these Friday night wrestling events that are promoted by our friend Sean Davis. And Ben James is committed to bringing somebody in again for a Q&A, which I think is great. And now we're starting to look at Sunday. Maybe we, something could happen on a Sunday I'll give you an idea that will not take place at the next event. I don't think you care, but 
How Mark, dare you say I don't care? Of course Well, you'll I find care. out in a second why I said that. Mark Beaudry said, have you ever thought of maybe golfing in some form? And I believe he brought up about Larry Zabisco, who is a daily golfer, lives in Orlando. And I said, great idea. I don't know shit about golfing other than mini golfer. I'm a fucking champ, Jeff. Well. But yeah, but I don't know anything about golf. I, I think, it, you know, I've golfed twice and I would say I suck, but then people who suck would get offended because I was that bad. And, uh, I thought, you know, that would be kind of cool because if we have golfers and Mark Beaudry being a golfer, he said, I absolutely would go golfing with Larry Zabisco. That could be fun. Unfortunately, Larry has been bitten by the inflation bug and, uh, we can no longer afford Larry. He is six times what he was when he was at our event about three years ago. So that won't happen, but <laughs> that's a, it, that's a nice way of putting it. He bitten by the inflation bug, right? <laughs> I was trying to be professional. There you so go. he, uh, so that won't happen, but we are looking at doing more events, you know, and whether they're sanctioned as such as Friday and Saturday or even something, you know, I know a, a few people went to a football game. The Tampa Bay game on the Sunday following the last fan fest, uh, people, the, the event prior went to a baseball game and, you know, it's, I'm, I'm waiting for somebody to say, when are we doing Bush Gardens? Cause that's exactly where I would be on a Sunday given the opportunity. So these events will continue really as long as people support them. And it's it, the big thing that I took away from this last one. And I mentioned this to you and we had Magnum TA and I mean, what a great guest he was at a fan fest but also on our on our podcast too just a again i had people reaching out about that saying uh you know magnum may have been the best guest you guys have ever had he is a different individual he really truly is i had four people reach out and say it was the best weekend of their life and when you hear that and you're hearing grown adults say it and again jeff we don't you know ron gardner Bless him. Uh, his wife passed away, uh, eight weeks ago and he posted in our Facebook group today. Yes. Yeah, so uh, I was going to mention that. Thank you for bringing it up. Absolutely. He had reached out to me a week ago and said, is it okay if I mention this? And I said, of course, this is what we're about. So please, uh, say it. But you know, and, until Ron and I, I would talk to Ron occasionally. We would text or, or uh, text each other or Facebook messenger, but I had no inkling that his wife was this ill to the fact that she was, you know, she passed away. And uh, you, it, my point being, you never, unless it's public, you never truly know what's happening at somebody's, you know, house or their life, whatever it is. And these are tough times. These have been tough times the last, you know, three and four years. So I got these messages saying this was the best weekend of my life. And then once I announced on, uh, I forget what day I announced it, maybe Thursday, Friday, I don't know. But I had people reach out privately saying, thank you so much. This is something that, you know, it's, this is my, this is it. This is everything that I want. I can't wait to see all my brothers again. And it, you know, another common denominator that you hear a lot, Jeff, it's not the wrestling that brings people down. They love having wrestlers there. They love the Q and they love it all. They love seeing each other. And that's the big thing. And, you know, for me, that's a lot of it too. I get to see you and I've known you for 30 something years and I've known Letterberg, you know, 45 years and I've known Bobby for 30 years. And it, it gets to the point that if I can't see people, this is a great way for all of us to come together. So thank you to everybody that did reach out. It meant a lot. It meant to hear how important the fan fest was to you. And again, it's not the wrestling, it's the camaraderie and the friendship. And that, that, that's, that's really what it's all about.
So two things. First of all, the other common denominator is, uh, without mentioning a name, there is one particular person that uh, both of you uh, and I know from South Florida who will, uh, for the 10th consecutive Fan Fest, be unable to attend because he has plans, usually involving uh, him going to Isla Mirada or something like that. Uh, I think you know who I'm talking about. I do. Uh, the other thing is, uh, since you mentioned it, is Linda potentially available for a Q&A spot where people can uh, say, do Barry saying this? And then she does the impression uh, of you, because I think that would uh, be a sure moneymaker. What do you think? I think it would be fun, too. And I got to say, uh, at the last Fan Fest, we were we we had the chance. I believe we talked to Fletcher Bailey. Fletch, who is kind of relatively new as far as being a brother shipper. We talked to Fletcher Bailey. I believe it was Mark Beaudry. Who was our third? I know I'm putting you on the spot with this one. It was Fletcher, uh, Mark, and they were in the room, and I, for the life of me, can't. The, the third guy was the best. Uh, oh, third guy was out of. He was unbelievable. I just don't. He was who so was. great. I don't even want to mention his name. Let's just. And that, that that's way. fair. But with that, <laughs> I had told Linda. I said, "Hey, we're going to be pulling some people in. Would you want to come on?" And maybe just say a few words. And she said, oh, she would love to. And then, of course, when we recorded, I sent her out with your wife to go look at apartments. So (laughs) exactly, which I lost that battle as well. So that didn't happen. But with that, yeah, I think she would absolutely come on and give you uh, as long as you want to do impressions of me. And her impressions, they're spot on. Okay, so at this point uh, in the uh, lovely episode of Breaking Cape with Badger and Barry, why don't we go to our match of the week? We are going to Barry's favorite city in the whole world, Philadelphia, PA. Barry, time for our match of the week. I know some people out there are going to be very excited. We are going to January 27th. 2018, Barry. No, we're not going back to the 60s or 70s this week. And we are going to Barry's favorite city, Philadelphia, where he wants to spend the rest of his life. That's what he told me. It's Johnny Gargano versus Andrade Cien Almas at the time, Barry, from the Wells Fargo Center in Godforsaken Philadelphia, PA. Barry Rosemary, first of all, you were at this show or were you not? I was not. This was one, and I thought about going too, and, uh, but this was one that I watched from the safety and comfort of my living room couch. Yes, back in the day when you had the sectional, you, you still got the sectional, Barry? I do. Boy, did I, do I fucking miss that sectional. <laughs> you know exactly which one it is. Many a night you fell asleep on that sectional. Many a night, Jeff, I slept on that motherfucker for two years when I lived <laughs> in the basement. So yes, I, uh, that, that set, if I could have brought that sectional with me successfully, uh, I probably, I wouldn't have had any room for it, but I would have brought it. I missed that sectional, but sadly I was not there live i did watch it i believe i watched it live with young zach and uh holy shit is this a great match so with this match jeff this match has been referred to by many as the greatest match in nxt takeover history and i think that really says a lot and if it's you know and there's obviously going to be dissension upon what people think is the greatest takeover match with that no matter what, this definitely belongs in top five, if not top three. It's right there too. And and as I was watching this, I was saddened in a bunch of diff for a bunch of different reasons. One, NXT takeovers suck now. At least in my opinion, they really do. And they they at one point were the and everybody said it right. This isn't breaking news. They they were the best 
special. I, I don't, I don't want to call it a pay-per-view because it's not what it is, but it's a special event, I guess, a highlighted event. I don't know what the fuck they call them anymore. With that, the takeovers were the best. You were getting just incredible matches, very smartly booked in that in most cases, a two hour show, it's only five matches, which is great. You know, it isn't like an AEW pay-per-view that goes five hours with 47 matches, five matches, each one given plenty of time to tell a story. And they were just phenomenal. And along with that, Andrade. And, and we'll talk about that. First off, do you have any idea what's going on with him currently? I know that he was suspended, I believe, from AEW for punching Sammy Guevara in the face. But that's the last I heard. Is there any sort of update on this guy? Not that I have heard of. Uh, perhaps Sweet Lou can chime in uh, and let us know if he's heard anything. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I believe speculation was at the God, time. Lou's got, Lou's got an opinion. Got, well, yeah, well, we've heard about as much about Andrade's future as we have about CM Punk's future. That is nil. And that's interesting. It, Lou you know, with a pithy comment there. Thank you, Lou. But it, it's interesting when you stop and think because it, one of the biggest issues with AEW was the fact that they were too open and that the shit was occurring when it should have been behind closed doors. But even when guys get suspended or term whatever, you know, CM Punk and Andrade, but then once it happens, that's basically all that we hear. We don't hear anymore. So I have no idea what's happening. But when you watch this match, and I think I said this to you last week or the week before, I said, Jeff, you may have a hard time believing it, but I think Andrade a few years back was probably one of the top workers in the U.S. at the time, and he really was. You definitely haven't seen it since he's been in AEW, though he did have a couple of good matches with Cody, but he's uh, just kind of fallen off the radar, and it's really sad, but when you watch this match, I think you see exactly what Andrade was capable of, and he was really just an unbelievable worker. Gargano as well. I mean, Gargano's nickname for fuck's sake is Johnny Wrestling. And, you know, I'm going to guess, I don't know what he claims his weight as. He's probably a buck 60 or a buck 65. Not a big guy, uh, a thin guy also, but man, can he have matches. He can wrestle and uh, he knows what to do in the ring and just fantastic takeovers too it, it it does break my heart we talked about especially in the early days of doing this podcast jeff which would have been i guess going into the fall of uh of 2017 but we used to talk about every single nxt takeover and i believe since the switch occurred and they basically have given it to young talent they've moved older talent to the main roster or just you know gone and i know that there's some sort of crossover now where some of them the guys are are winding up in nxt but man these takeovers and i i think from my perspective i would like to go back and just start to look at all the takeovers again this match as i've covered everything else it's spectacular too and this match goes i want to say it goes 32 33 minutes or something like that but that's the beauty of nxt takeovers especially back in that era was there was no rushing they were going to give guys 30 minutes to tell a story, and they do tell a story. And I think that's what's the key here is that this story legitimately, whoever booked this, whoever the agent was that was handling this, I think it's flawless. And the fact that there is a beginning, middle, and end to this, and I just find it a compelling story. You know, it's a compelling story. At the same time, Gargano, to me, I never liked him as a heel. I, I always thought he was 
to me what the prototype as a baby face was. And I believe I even said you could never turn him heel. They did. I think it was successful. But at the same time, to me, he'll always be the underdog. He's a smaller guy in stature. He's got a big smile. His wife wrestles for the company. That's no secret. And he's fantastic, but he's the kind of guy that should be chasing the title. And that's what he was doing here. He was chasing Andrade. Match went uh, 32-33 minutes. I won't spoil the finish, Jeff. I'll let you talk about that. I would say, in my opinion, this is the first or second best match ever in the history of NXT. That's my opinion. I think some people are going to say, Sasha and Bailey, that's one that I've heard a lot. The other match that I would throw out in that regard would be uh, DIY, which was Gargano and Ciampa against uh, the guys who are now known as FTR. What was their name? In uh, Do you remember what their name was? Because I don't. You're, you're asking me. I know. I, I figured, but we, what was it, Lou? <laughs> the Revival. The Revival. That's it. And FTR is supposed to be Fuck the Revival, right? So I never would have got it. But I, I think that might be the best match. I was blown away. And they had a couple. I think you can also throw the Champa Gargano matches in there. But this is, in my opinion, again, my opinion only, I think if you're talking the best matches ever in NXT, Johnny Gargano is in the mix no matter what. Uh, Lou, if you could do me a favor at this point, uh, pull out your notebook and just uh, make a note that this is only Barry's opinion, uh, just in case there's Please. any sort of uh, litigation, uh, you know, involving that. Hold on. Con- Steven, I need to speak to Stephen P. New, please. Yes, of course. So, uh, yes. Uh, are you uh, now done talking about the match? Because I technically didn't even throw it to you for the match. I asked you about oh, really? it. <laughs> and you just fucking started going there, mister. Damn Bro, right, this, my man. This is not Bowdrin and Barry. It's Barry and some other this guy. Is, this is, this Who is, am I? This is B-A-R takeover. Exactly. Just like NXT. I'm just throwing my shit out there. Please, yes. Jeff, I apologize. So, well, thank you. You really should at this point. Yeah. Uh, however, let me point out a few notes that I had made about this match. First of all, I was watching this match, and although uh, I don't think we reviewed this match, I seem to recall watching this match because the uh, thing, uh, you know what I'm talking about without spoiling it here four years later, but, you know, or, or almost five years later, the thing that happens at the very end of the uh the match yes as gargano is waving to the crowd or whatever something happens there and i was like oh i remember that and so uh i don't know that we definitely have reviewed this match but i uh, know watching it and uh, of course it's like you know like like you said uh, i know you were very high on the nxt takeovers oh, yeah. uh, back in the day and you would recommend them to me and stuff like that so a uh, couple of notes i've made uh, first of all I thought the uh, it was Mario Mario Rinaldi and who's the other guy Percy. So I think that so it was Mario Rinaldo who was great. That's this the was, guy. Whatever. Yeah, the, he was the gentleman, if I'm correct, that had uh, major depression issues. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was uh, he apparently uh, he had somebody in the company. I don't know if it was JBL or maybe I'm thinking of somebody else. But there was an incident where he had somebody that was really causing him difficulties uh sort of a bullying or making fun JBL. of them kind of yeah it was JBL. It, it was jbl okay yeah, yeah. Hey, there's a surprise yeah i was gonna say it's, you know it's one thing if somebody calls you a bully and it's a one-off and then you've got a track record of being a fucking douche uh which apparently does have so uh yeah more yeah you know when, when when rick flair is calling out your moral character <laughs> <laughs> did he really yeah yeah oh yeah rick oh. had uh, a, a 
called out uh, his uh, character, uh, questioning some things about him. But uh, I want to point out, uh, I thought it was very cool, the announcers to me. Oh, so you didn't tell me, who's the Percy guy? Per- Percy, I believe it was Percy Watkins. He was an NXT, I think he was actually Florida Championship Wrestling before they changed the name to NXT. And then I believe he suffered an injury. He was the, you wouldn't know who he was. He was a bald African-American guy that wore giant framed glasses. You remember Swifty Lazar? Yes. The old, yes. <laughs> the, exactly. The old. You reached into your pocket for the Swifty Lazar reference. Oh yeah. Yeah. He had, uh, he had these big black horn rim glasses and uh, I believe he had an injury at NXT unable to compete. They put him on commentary and uh, I believe he's unemployed currently. So yes, yeah, that's no, what it they, they made a, a comment about how, uh, I think uh, was it Nigel McGinnis? Yeah, yeah. That he apparently was off for some reason. I don't know if there was a health situation at the time, or he just was had the uh, the day off or something. But they did mention that he uh, he would be back at the next one, or made a comment about that. But I like the fact that they mentioned that uh, Selena Vega, who was with Andrade, uh, that her father had been killed in the nine eleven attacks. I did yes. not realize that. That's kind yeah. of interesting. And uh, also making mention that uh, Johnny Gargano's dad had had quadruple bypass surgery. Oh. Now, see, this is the kind of stuff like those two things where you're humanizing the wrestlers. I know Vince wants to make everyone a superstar and he wants them to be like Marvel characters. Fuck that. I want to humanize and I want to know who these fucking people are. And those are the kind of touches. And it's probably because Vince had nothing to do with this shit. Uh, giving credit where it's due, this is all probably Triple H is doing. Uh, and, you know, putting in those little kind of human, uh, humanizing uh, aspects and, and comments make me really enjoy the product. Uh, you know, so uh, I will mention you talked about how you thought this was one of your favorite NXT matches of all time. And then you proceeded to list 37 other ones. That's but right. I will say that upon doing <clears throat> quality research, Barry, uh-uh. This was the very first NXT match ever, ever to get five stars from the Melts. We know how high uh, that mountain is. And, um, you know, Melts finally given a five-star review uh, to an NXT match. Uh, I like the fact he's on the payroll, isn't he? Well, of course, he's on everyone's payroll. Everyone right. knows that just to ask people in our group. Uh, I like the fact, and again, this is a comment you can tell uh, that Vince did not have his fingerprints all over this. Was They made a comment, uh, the announcers said, this is great grappling. You know, Ooh. you never hear Vince McMahon talk about great grappling. That's a banned word. Yeah, it's a, you know, uh, like a, it's like str- belts. You can't say belts. Nope. Uh, let's see. I, I loved uh, th- this little quote uh, from uh, how, how do you say it? For, is it Morrow or Mario? How do you say Morrow. it? It's, it's, Morrow. It's okay. M-A-U-R-O. Okay. So he says uh, uh, he was talking about what was happening in the match. I think it was Johnny Gargano. He said, he's like a fountain pen that won't be written off. And I'm like, wow. So somebody had to, he had to have that quote, you know, like written down somewhere. I'm not saying he didn't come up with it. He may very well did, but I, I don't think that's just stream of consciousness. It like just doesn't flow like that. That has to be like, Oh, this is a great line. I'm going to work this into the match somehow because it was good stuff. I like the uh, the moonsault uh, by Andrade, and then uh, when uh, Gargano had moved, he then turned it into a standing moonsault. That was good stuff. So let's talk Andrade. And you said that you uh, you love him and stuff like that. So my question to you, Barry Rose, I'm not talking about necessarily just uh, NXT or WWE or AEW. Is Andrade good enough to be a quote-unquote 
face of the promotion guy? <sighs> no. He's, uh, and I think partly, I think a part of it is to, at least in this country, he, his English is okay at best. And I don't know if he's a strong enough promo to get over to be the face of a company. What he can definitely be is he could be the number two or three heel. I should say he used to. Maybe I don't, you know, maybe he's, he sucks now. I don't know. I, you know, I, I have no idea because I, in AEW, they haven't done much with him at all. But again, you saw this match. If I was running NXT, I, I would have put him as the champion. That made perfect sense. If I was uh, putting him on, let's say, SmackDown or Raw, I would give him maybe one of the secondary titles. And, you know, the U.S. or Intercontinental, something like that. AEW TNT Championship. To me, he's not the guy as good as he is. He's not the guy that I think should be the number one heel. But I think he could be very, very comfortable in a two or three position, though. Okay, so let me uh, put it in these terms. All right. Three guys, all, you know, uh, either not from this country uh, or whatever. You got uh, Andrade. Andrade. Rusev. Rusev. And I'm not going to call him Gunther. Walter. Put those in order uh, as the foreign menace, if you will. Sure. Put those three guys in your order. Uh, top to bottom. Well, the first thing I would do is I would not form a faction. No, no, no. I, 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 no I, do you remember? I, I don't think you, you even know this, Jeff, because your love of the WWE is well documented. About five, uh-huh. six, yes. yeah, seven years ago, there was somebody came up with the genius idea of doing what kind of what you were just talking about in that they took all these foreign heels and put them together in a stable. And it was Alberto Del Rio. I believe it was Wade Barrett. Might have been Sheamus. I don't know who else was in it. But I know that uh, Wade Barrett and uh, Del Rio were the two. This thing tanked like no one's business, and they quickly forgot about it and wrote it off. So definitely not a great idea. If it was me and I was going to make – I'm going one, two, three. Now let, let's talk about Walter for a second. Which Walter or Gunther is it? it well, let me know. Is it Walter or is it Gunther? Because if you've seen him lately – He's dropped, I'll say, 50 pounds, and while still very impressive, in my opinion, not he's he's not physically as impressive as he was prior to the weight loss. He was a little bit scarier. So, am I going to do the original Walter? Well, what a shock, by the way, that uh, yeah, yeah, the WWE course, right? fucked up this guy. <laughs> they uh, call him fucking Gunther. That's uh, the other part. So, but can I go off of Walter? Is this yeah, so Walter? Let's go after Walter. Done. Uh, the, when he was still over in Europe. Walter. Walter's my number one guy. You and I were praising Walter when we were only seeing matches coming from either the UK, Germany, or Japan, and we both said this is this is Waldo von Erich. This is a no Fritz. This is Fritz. This is a heel right here. This guy can make money. And, uh, of course, they come over here. They have him drop a lot of weight. Still wrestles really stiff. But if this is going to be the Walter that we know, I would make him my number one heel without a doubt. Number two, I would be uh, Miro or uh, whatever is Rusev was what his name was. And I actually think Miro, I think he's a guy that maybe has improved since going to AEW. Wouldn't know it because we don't see him. But, you know, he toned down his body. You know who we do see? We, we, we see Jericho every week, though, don't we? <laughs> do we see Trent Beretta? Nice guy, too. We see Jericho. We, no, we, I, I, have, I happen to 
like Jericho, uh, you know, I mean, as I've said, the guy when I had cancer fucking sent me a uh, a video that uh, some of the guys paid for and uh, was super cool of him to do that. That being said, I don't fucking need to see Chris Jericho every single week. And I like what they're doing with his, you know, he's running through all the old ROH champions and stuff. That's kind of a cool gimmick. I just don't need to see it every fucking week. I mean, like, God, give the guy, let him take a cruise, you know, a Jericho cruise so that we don't see him for a couple of weeks because, you know, how can I miss you if you won't go away? That big cruise is coming up, too. If you look at that, Jesus, that thing stacked and loaded. But you're right. And, look, I I like Jericho. The the Internet wrestling community, the IWC, uh, has a major hard-on for Jericho. And he is uh, persona non grata, especially with the uh, Cornette group. Uh, you know, there's just – there's a lot there. With it, I, I still like Jericho. Look, yes, he's over the hill. He is what he is. But as you said, that gimmick is pretty cool. I like running down that match he had against Ishii last week. I thought was holy was, shit you know, was his chest. Yeah, a mess, by the holy way. shit. He's what, 51 or 52 yeah. years old. The, the amount of chops and they went on for, I'll say five minutes and. Oh, and the blood. I'm assuming these were welts that were then opened up and the blood was flowing. That, that was painful. But I give him a lot of credit because he does put it. You could say what he want, what you want about Jericho and it's probably true. But at the same time, he does put his ass on the line. And I, I do respect it. I'm a fan with it. I think Rusev Miro would be my number two and Andrade my number three. I think the potential of Walter booked correctly. And I'm thinking, of, I'm not talking from a business aspect with merch. I'm just talking from wrestling. To me, that guy is just, he's unbelievable. And I hate what they've, they've done to him. Combination, I said this a 100 episodes ago when we first saw him. Combination of Fritz von Erich in his prime and Johnny Valentine. He yeah. was, we always talk about how wrestling, the stuff that we like to see is, when you're doing shit that's not the same as everybody else, okay? When when you're the guy uh, in the room that doesn't have 140 tats, you know, when you're the guy that doesn't have any tats at all, you stand out. When you're the guy that, you know, has a bit of a gut, you know, and, and like, you know, you're not – maybe Vince McMahon fucking doesn't like that, but I like that because that, that's different. You don't see, you know – Guys that, uh, you know, are a little bit overweight, a little bit pudgy, but can fucking work their ass off. I appreciate that because it's different from every other guy that looks like a fucking muscle head. I'm sorry. That's just my little personal rant for the day. Anyway, getting back to the match, Selena Vega. Now, I know we're going back a few years here, but because you were much more into the product than I was, uh, I thought she did a really good job in this match uh, in her role. Tell me how important was Selena Vega to Andrade and Andrade getting over in NXT. Uh, there you go. You do. You, I think in a sense, I also think you answered your own question right there because she was. And uh, as always, they fucked with that and they split these two up. And but, you know, it, his in-ring work was was good, was very good. I think we can say he was capable of generating some heat. But Selena Vega on the outside and Selena Vega, if you've never seen her in person, She's probably 5'1", 110 pounds max. I mean, she is a tiny, petite thing. I saw her years ago, and I, I forget what her name was before she became Zelina Vega, when she was on the indie circuit. Was it Rosita or something like that? I, I don't know. But she's really tiny, and she worked an angle with 
Bubba Ray and Devon Dudley, and they wound up putting her through a table. Uh, so she, she who would have ever um, guessed that? Yeah, but again, to her credit, you've got this no, no, I'm little just thing. Oh, no, that's what their gimmick. I mean, they're gonna they were putting fucking Mae Young through tables, and she was like 150 at that age. But Zelina Vega, like, she just looks fragile and and tiny, but she busts her ass, and uh, I think. I, I think it was realized had they had Andrade not had Zelina Vega in NXT, I do not think he would have been quite as successful uh, as he was. And of course, I believe they actually did bring them up to the main roster together. They put them with somebody else. Maybe it was Hector Garza or Castillo, I believe, Humberto Castillo. They split them up. They all went sideways and it was all over. She was a very, very valuable component to that, though. Lou uh, chiming in saying, I think she went under her real name of Thea Trinidad. I think so. She also she had a working name, too, though, didn't she? Or am I completely mistaken? I thought that she was Thea Trinidad, but I want to say she was something else. I will say one of the comments that uh, the announcers made that I was not a huge fan of when they were talking about, uh, I believe it was Johnny Gargano, they said, he fell in love with sports entertainment at an early <laughs> age. I mean, come on, you know. Yeah. Oh, uh, hey, son, do you want to watch some sports entertainment on television? No, that's not what parents say. They say, do you want to watch wrestling? God, Vince, get over your fucking self. That's that's the shit I don't miss, you know. Checking in here. So she was known as Rosita in TNA, which is what I knew about. And then. On the Indies, she was Thea Trinidad and now Zelina Vega. Okay. Okay. So, uh, the move that here's the complaint I have. Okay. Uh, about this match. There's a lot about this match. that's really good. First of all, the crowd is absolutely fucking incredible. Yep. Uh, that, you know, they, they add so much to this as the complaint I've made before. And it's not just about the WWE to be fair. It's, it's an AEW thing. It's also a new Japan thing. Uh, and, and other, it's the fact that. People can't just hit a move and win the match. No, you've got to hit a series of approximately 472 moves. And then the move that you've trademarked, you've got to hit that. You know, that, oh, my God. Nobody fucking does a roll-up for a finish anymore, it seems like, you know. Uh, it's just, uh, uh, it's so needlessly complex what they do. Uh, and here, he does the uh, the hammerlock DDT for the finish, which is a really cool-looking move. That uh, I don't know that I'd ever seen. But, of course, before that, he had to hit it and have the false finish on Johnny Gargano first. And uh, then at, uh, another sequence goes by. He hits it again, gets the win, which I got to be honest with you. I was all prepared for Gargano to win this match. And so, that you know, when Andrade, uh, spoiler alert for those of you who haven't seen it yet, when Andrade wins, I was kind of like, oh, that was kind of cool. Like, uh, I was kind of thinking the babyface was going to win this match. So. One of the things I want to point out uh, that they did mention, the announcers also, and I wanted to get your thought on this. They were comparing uh, Gargano to Daniel Bryan when he was uh, in the WWE. What do you think of that comparison? So in my head, uh, 100%. That is 100% uh, the right comparison. I was thinking of two guys, and Gargano and Daniel Bryan are – and Daniel Bryan was such a strong baby face – that it's always sometimes weird for me to see how good is he, good he is as he's a heel because I don't see he's just such a great baby face. But Gargano was the same way. These are two guys that are smaller in stature that can have amazing matches. The crowd gets behind them. The similarities are there. Absolutely. So if you are going to have one of these two guys be the baby face 
sort of uh, lead babyface in your promotion, which one are you picking? Daniel Bryan, I'm still picking. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So we will post a link to this match. Johnny Gargano taking on Andrade Cien Almas, as opposed to El Idolo Berry, from the 27th of January, 2018, in the venerable Wells Fargo Center in Philadelphia, PA. We will post a link to this in our Facebook group, Breaking Kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry. And if you're not a member there, Barry... Why aren't you a member? You guys it's need to be joined. Valid question. Valid question. We do this. We say this all the time, if not every week. It's certainly every other week. But the Facebook group, which has got, Jeff, what are we at now? 22? 642,000. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm using the. Wow. Uh, I'm using David Penzer math there, obviously. Uh-huh. So. I thought that was John McAdam girlfriend math. Well, no, no. The, that's a, that's a slightly like one, maybe one or two fewer than that. All right, Barry, great match. Had fun talking about that. Let's talk uh, some more about some wrestling. Barry, recently, AEW last week. Pretty good show coming off the old PPV. What do you think? Uh, yeah, strong show. We we briefly touched on the Jericho match. But, yeah, it was a, a good show, a solid show. It looks like they're building I think I was a little, if it was me, look, I, I know Tony Khan catches a lot of shit. And lately, you and I have been giving him shit, and it's deserved. Having MJF on that show, I think, would have been a, because that's what I expected. I'm sure you did as well. Eight o'clock, I'm, a, I'm fully expecting MJF's going to come out. Instead, you get Regal, and they have this kind of weird segment where Moxley says, you, you better get out of here now. I don't know where they're going to go with this and what they're going to do. I want to think it's definitely building up to something uh, for this week. But, yeah, good show. I like what they're doing with bringing in New Japan talent. You know, Ishii, I had no idea he was going to be there. And they bring him in, and it appears to be a one-off. I like that. I like that they're bringing in these guys, and maybe they're not sticking around. The only thing I would say – and I should say, if I go back, I, I think it was a week earlier, watching Shibata do the job for Orange Cassidy broke my heart. I also understand why that had to happen. And Shibata is not the same guy, rightly so. He's not the same guy he was four years ago. But I do like the only thing I would say is if you're bringing in all these guys from the outside to come, they're all doing the job. And at some point. Every, yeah. you know, every five-year-old is going to be able and go, oh, it's another Japanese guy. Well, he's going to lose this week. You know, Suzuki. Well, and especially when they sit, th- when they sit there and talk about, oh, this guy is an absolute legend. And then you have him lose to some guy that, yeah. let's be honest, is like a middle card guy for you. It's sort of, you know, like, uh, you're, you're cutting your nose and spite your face. And also, I certainly hope Tony, uh, is willing and able to allow these guys to go back to Japan and return the favor. Because uh, if you don't do that, that's a quick way to never get access to those guys again. I think you'll agree on that, Barry. Yep. Uh, I also really like the uh, the six man tag. Uh, that was some good stuff. I know, uh, you know, already people are like, oh, Kenny Omega. I hate- okay, fine. You hate Kenny Omega and the Bucks. I get it. It was a really good match. I thought they did a very good job of taking the fact that they knew that Omega and the Bucks were going to be absolutely eviscerated by the Chicago crowd, uh, and they absolutely ran with it. And by the end of the match, and I mentioned this to you before we talked, uh, before we started recording, the crowd, as much as they hated Bucks and Omega, they began to love the match. And they were like super into what was going on. And the fact that those guys did the job there maybe was like a little bit of, hey, we're losing, you know, that I don't know if that played into it or not, or if that's just all part of the storyline. But I really 
thought they made the best out of what could have been a really bad situation in the six-man tag pair. Well, you're right about that, too. And I got to say, I think it was, unless I missed it in some form or they were manipulating the audio, the CM Punk stuff was nowhere near at the level that I thought it was going to be. Yeah, I thought it, it was. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. Yeah. I thought it was going to be all night long. And so for the first time ever, I also watched AEW with Linda being the night before Thanksgiving. She was kind enough and she said, I would love to watch it with you. And we did. And she fell asleep as she did during the Jimmy Garvin Q and A, but, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, she, right. But, but with it, she did watch and, or at least watch part of it, which I was happy about, but I, it's, you know, it was, I don't know what the fuck my point was. I, I'm sitting here and I'm going, I'm going, what the hell was I, was my point going to be? Oh, the CM Punk shit. It was fairly mild. And I said to her, as the Bucks and Kenny Omega were going to come out, I said, these guys coming out might be booed more than anybody in the history of professional wrestling taking place in Chicago. And they came out, there were some boos. Wasn't a big deal. Nothing struck me as worse than usual. And I think what happened, and you just said it, you picked up on it, was the match was so good that they were like, yeah, whatever. This is a great fucking match. We're not going to boo these guys, you know. And I, and look, maybe there's some backlash towards punk in Chicago. I think with a lot of the stories that have gotten out, whether they're true or false, I don't know at this stage, that maybe people are like, you know what? Fuck him at this stage, right? He's He sounds like he's the guilty one. So I don't know. But anyways, boy, that six-man tag was great, wasn't it? Yes, and of course, the other thing I liked, uh, as you know, and I've mentioned it before, I'm a huge fan of Malachi Black. The return of the House of Blackberry. Well was, done, too, Jeff. Yes, I was very happy to see that. I was really happy to see them just absolutely lay out uh, the guys, uh, all, all of them that were uh, in the ring. Uh, I thought that was very effective. And uh, I really hope they go back to doing some of the production work they do with Malachi Black, like the the kind of sinister videos is very cool. I wish they'd go back to that friggin' Norwegian death metal song that they used uh, that I talked <laughs> yeah. about uh, for his intro because I, I fucking love that. So anyway, that, that was good stuff. Uh, let's see what else we got here, Barry. Uh, let me just uh, throw out a little something. Uh, I was out having dinner with uh, my daughter and my wife the other night, and uh, you know, as you well know, Barry, uh, my, uh, my daughter Kelly works as the uh, supervisor of uh the veterinary technicians at an animal hospital and uh so you know we were just like oh how was uh thanksgiving uh did you have any dogs coming in uh you know sick because you know somebody gave them something uh leftovers from thanksgiving that uh, maybe they shouldn't have eaten uh, you know let me just say this before i tell you what she said barry do you remember i don't know year two Two years ago, I mentioned the story about how Kelly said the people came in and they think it's funny when they smoke weed and they blow Absolutely. the smoke in the dog's face. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, and guess what? By the way, that's uh, completely horrible for, for your dog because it can make them really, really fucking sick. But on this particular occasion, my daughter says, oh, yeah, no, we got a new one. I said, what's that? Uh, well, uh, the person that uh, had given amphetamines to their dog. <sighs> Barry. Okay. So, but isn't that. Isn't that a violation of the law? Well, see, here's the thing. It very well, it very well could be. But vets and vet techs, when they ask you, what did your dog eat? 
What did your dog ingest? Is there any possibility it could be uh, some form of recreational drugs? And of course, immediately the person's like, oh, what, what? No, I, I would never think to it because you're immediately in that situation. The person's going to be thinking, oh, fuck, they're going to narc me out to the cuff. No, they don't give a shit. If you're smoking weed, if you're fucking Timothy O'Leary, that's a really dated reference. Wow. And you're fucking taking LSD. They don't give a shit. All they want to do is make your animal better and take care of them for you. If you don't tell them, guess what? Then they get to come out and say, oh, I'm sorry, Fido didn't make it. Why don't you fucking man up or woman up, as the case may be, and tell them, say, uh, yeah, I may have, uh, you know, uh, done something and, uh, he might have got in. Deny, instead of fucking deny, deny, deny. Deny only works when, uh, Dennis Rodman is caught by his wife in bed with Carmen Electra. I think that's what the story was, Barry. Uh, you know, you're going to believe me or your well, lying eyes. And he said, didn't he also say she broke my dick? No, yeah, I think so. Something. Yeah. But anyway, fucking tell them what they need to know. Just like if you go to the doctor and the doctor says, uh, have you used it, you know, anything I need to know about and you're fucking uh, in the emergency room and they can't figure out what's wrong with you. Uh, maybe it's time to tell them what they need to know. And in the case of your poor fucking animal that's there fucking, you know, going into either cardiac arrest or is shaking like they have epilepsy or something like that. Fucking just tell them they're not going to say, oh, hold on one second. Uh, hello, Officer Johnson. Yes, let me tell you what this person here at the animal hospital has just admitted to me. Now, they're not going to fucking do that. And first of all. Uh, besides that, who's fucking stupid enough to leave amphetamines around for your dog to get into? Oh my God, Barry, just fucking. Well, so that's stupid. why, that's why I bring up the legality, et cetera, with that because, and again, I don't know if amphetamines, I guess there's legal amphetamines, right? I know methamphetamine, I think, is what may, may be illegal. Well, right? the, I, I think my son mentioned, uh, Adderall. Yeah, yeah, which is, there's a lot of amphetamines. Uh, I, I mean, all you have to do is say, well, I take a prescription, you know, and then you're fucking, you know, and again, they're not going to fucking call the cops on you. All they want to do is take care of your animal, whether it be dog, cat, uh, whatever, you know. But, but if you but, fucking hide something from them, they're not going to be able to do their job. Yeah, yeah. But the, on the flip side is odds are you're you're putting this dog back into the same situation. And it's, it's that's true it, also. Yeah, and that's what that's what scares me. If you don't call the cops, then will this happen again? It easily could. But I also realize there's look, this was the same shit when I was at uh, PetSmart. Is PetSmart the big one? That's the big one, right? Well, there's Petco, PetSmart. Uh, there's a couple of them. Gotcha. So PetSmart a couple of years ago. I don't know. My fucking timeline with COVID is completely thrown off, but they uh Somebody brought their dog in to be groomed, and they wound up killing the dog. And while I believe it was unintentional, there was video footage of how rough the groomer was being and was slapping the dog to get the dog to live, just treating the dog to the point, Jeff, that if if this was your dog and you saw it, you would have burst in there and started beating someone's ass, right? That's That's how rough it was. The dog wound up dying, and I guess because of the way the laws are structured, Pets are considered property, and there's a dollar cap amount on what you can get. So somebody was not going to go to jail. They were held. They they weren't liable. And then I believe they were reimbursed up to a thousand dollars. Don't quote me, but I think it was a grand, and that was it. So literally, they could kill your dog, and all you're going to get is a thousand dollars. So uh, to me, absolutely disgusting. But at the same time, well, let's just uh, let me just say, sure. Barry, would they be financially liable? 
Okay, maybe not. But would they ultimately be held liable? <laughs> you bet your ass they would be, my friend. It's <clears throat> another story for another time, though. Barry, let's do a little, uh, let, let's kind of switch gears here off that slightly depressing subject. Barry, we haven't played Florida Man or not yet this week. Are you ready, Mr. Rose? This is a special edition Florida Man, right? Well, it could be, in oh. theory. All right. Ah, all right, Barry. We love nothing more than a great headline. And so here, Barry, I offer this one. <clears throat> Are you ready? I, I am all ready. Uh, well, that's what they say, at least. Uh, police! Woman does karate, son gets nude, dog steals cornbread mix from Walmart. This is all one story, by the way, Barry. <laughs> <laughs> I love a, a family that sticks oh. together you know, with the criminality. Uh, oh, so, yeah. A mother and son are in custody after causing a, a ruckus. Oh, I love the word ruckus, Barry. Ruckus. Uh, and a local Walmart police said their dog chipped in, too. The PD identified Lisa Smith, 46, her son, Benny Van, as a suspect. Investigators said the dog is named Bo. That's a good name for a dog, Bo. On Wednesday, responding officers said they found Smith yelling in the doorway trying to summon Bo. Smith allegedly brought Bo into the store without a leash, so he easily ditched his owner and started running up to unsuspecting customers. While Bo was doing that, Smith began tearing apart store displays and placing them in her shopping cart. Walmart staff asked her to leave, and she complied. Police said she left the store to perform karate moves in the parking lot. Bo, on the other hand, had not been brought to heel. See what they did there. Uh, by the time anyone found him, he was on his way out the store with a box of Jiffy cornbread muffin mix in his mouth. <laughs> you, you like a good Jiffy cornbread mix, do you, Bear? I do. I do, actually, yeah. yeah. Police arrested Smith, but it wasn't without a fight. She allegedly kicked out a patrol car window when they finally got her into custody. Meanwhile, police said Van was running amok inside the store. Another good running amok. That's a, I like that. Right up there with ruckus. Yeah. Yeah. He allegedly took off all his clothes in the rear of the Walmart and exposed himself to everyone around him. Fortunately for them, he tried to cover himself by putting on the clothes Walmart had on the racks. Yeah, that's, that's the, uh, yeah, the pants you got from Walmart. Yeah, this idiot was uh, trying them on, uh, um, when he was naked. Even so, police said he didn't try to purchase them. So this is also a crime. Oh, Barry Rose, there's a lot to take in here. Florida, man, woman, and dog or not. Wow. And I should add, I was in Walmart twice last week. Uh, with On purpose? So the lovely Zoe, who's a fan of Walmart, uh, was in town all week. Zoe and Zach both in town for Thanksgiving. So Zoe, we went out for lunch one day. She said, can we go over to Walmart? I was like, sure, we can go. And then on Black Friday, Linda, Zoe, and myself were all in Walmart. So, uh, yeah, it's boy. And that again, Walmart, without getting into great detail, Walmart had a rough week last week in Virginia. And I, I want to say another state as well. There were two shootings, one actually multiple deaths, but there was another shooting that I think did take place on Black Friday in another state. But I looked for clues in your story, didn't pick up the, the dog is shifty. Uh, stealing. Yeah, I'm gonna say it could have been Florida if I do, and you take the I-95 and you go that way. I'm gonna I, say, I will. I will. Before you give your guess, I will say, Barry, this is not a recent story. The story is from a few years ago. So okay. if you're thinking I didn't read anything about this in the news, this was from a few years back. 
Yeah, I did not, but uh, you do have a knack for getting good headlines and good stories. I'm going to say this did not take place in the state of Florida. Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Woohoo! So you're one for one, Barry, but oh my God, this is a great fucking headline. On the board. Uh, just, you know, like uh, kind of crazy here. Let's see uh, my next story here. So next story, uh-huh. by the way, let me uh, point out here something. I, I had a post last night. I don't know if you caught it. Folks, if you're going to post a wacky news story in the group, maybe reach out to me because maybe, as is the case with this one, I'm planning on using it on the show. So I had to remove this particular story, Barry, not once, twice within the last couple days. Yes. So, Barry, this is another great headline. And, oh, Barry, the story. Woman sues Velveeta shells and cheese ready time claim. A woman is suing the parent company of Velveeta's microwavable shells and cheese cups, claiming that she would not have bought the product had she known that it would take her longer to prepare them than the three and a half minutes stated on the label of the box. Amanda Ramirez filed the class action lawsuit on November 18th in U.S. District Court. She is the lead plaintiff in the lawsuit against Kraft Heinz Foods Company, which manufactures the macaroni and cheese products. The lawsuit is seeking damages of more, get this, Barry, $5 million. Okay, that seems Including good. statutory and punitive damages plus interest and quote-unquote cost. She accuses the company of violating state and federal laws against deceptive and unfair trade practices, fraud, false and misleading advertising, a breach of express warranty, negligent misrepresentation, and unjust enrichment, according to the newspaper. At issue is the amount of time it takes to prepare the macaroni and cheese. According to the lawsuit, the statement on the bottom left-hand corner of the box that claims the product, quote, ready in three and a half minutes, is false and misleading because the product takes longer. The directions on the back of the package detail four steps, four steps, Barry, in preparing the macaroni and cheese, and the lawsuit says that one of the steps microwaving the food takes three and a half minutes. The lawsuit did not state how long. So, Barry, this is the woman's problem. It shouldn't be three and a half minutes. It should be like three three minutes and 45 seconds because, you know, you have to stir the cup and pour water in it, and then it takes three and a half minutes. Oh, Barry, that extra 15 seconds is worth a cool $5 million. Barry Rose, Florida woman or not. And I don't know this to be fact because – I, I don't think I've had a box of macaroni and cheese for. First of years. all, why are you eating that shitty mac and cheese? Yeah, because but, there's nothing good that's coming out of a microwavable mac and cheese. I, I can tell you that. Well, but here's the other aspect. A lot of times, because every microwave essentially is different and cooking times can vary. I know that I've seen on multiple packages where it says cooking times may vary. So I, I, would assume this is craft of all, you know, of all companies. I would think that there's probably listed somewhere on the box that cooking times may vary, which may add 30 seconds in either direction. So with that, this woman's nuts. This is tying up, uh, this is another stupid lawsuit that is going to tie up courts and just more bullshit that takes place, which is never good for any of us. 
this woman sounds either greedy, manipulative, or stupid enough that she's from the state of Florida. God bless her. I'm going to say this one. She is from Florida. Barry Rose, I will tell you that the, uh, the lawsuit was filed in the district court, the Southern District Court of Miami. Woo! Yes. Only in Cuba, or only in Miami does Cuba seem so far away, as Billy Joel once sang. That's right. Uh, you know what? I really hope, uh, I very rarely, if ever, root for a corporation to win something like this. Right. I hope fucking Kraft <laughs> countersues, and once this case is fucking thrown out while the judge is laughing at the woman in open court, I hope the judge makes her pay fucking cost that the lawyers have incurred preparing this fucking ridiculous lawsuit. And I hope this woman, Amanda Rodriguez or Ramirez, excuse me, of Hialeah. Trust me, I fucking worked in Hialeah. I know what Hialeah is like. I hope they fucking counter sue her ass. And uh, I hope we read about Amanda Ramirez crying in court because she uh, fucked with the wrong corporation. Because, gee, Barry, you don't, you don't know. Corporations, they can't be vindictive, can they? No, they, no, it's not like they've got a, a good legal team. It's not like Kraft would have some of the best lawyers in the country, right? No, not at all. Not at exactly. all. Exactly. So, okay. Uh, our last story, Barry. Uh, right. And I want to, uh, I want to thank the person that actually reached out to me and said, Oh, uh, would this be a good Florida man segment? Oh. And I said, Yeah. And this was after I posted what I mentioned. I said, Thank you for asking first, because as I mentioned in the post, if I don't think it's appropriate, if it involves some sort of death or murder or something yeah, like that, that. Yeah, no, we don't do that. And I'll say, no, that's not something that's good for our show. And then I'll say, go ahead and fucking post it in the group. Let the, let the group uh, judge it that way. But, you know, we're trying to make light of this. And generally speaking, Barry, I don't know if you know this, murder is not something that's uh, – No. Uh, we we have it's hard to believe that we have a line that we don't cross. It is hard to believe. Usually, yeah. So who who sent you this story? Since we're thanking them. Uh, wait a minute. Now you're going to make me uh pull up names and stuff like that. Hold All on. Right. Uh, do a quick uh, cursory check. Uh, it is. Uh, actually, I'll tell you afterwards because uh, it may or may not reveal itself. Uh, if ah, I was to tell you, that's yes. a good point. All right. Yes, thank you. So, uh, okay. Uh, the headline reads, Barry. Yes. Alcohol-fueled family game of Monopoly turns violent as furniture is overturned, gunfire erupts, and man goes to jail on assault with a deadly weapon charge. Uh, Barry, this is why. First of all, do you do the game nights with your kids, or did you when they were younger? We did. Yeah, we did. Uh, you know, my, my kids are uh, they're big game enthusiasts. They like to. I like your, your trivial pursuit, uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, Monopoly, first of all, can last seven and a half hours. Uh, I'm not into uh, games that last that long. But anyway, mixing that with alcohol, generally speaking, is not going to be a good idea. Uh, in this particular story, a alcohol-fueled family game of Monopoly turned violent on Saturday evening as furniture was overturned, gunfire erupted, and a man was sent to jail, as I said, on a charge of assault with a deadly weapon. Officers were called around 6.25 p.m. about gunshots fired at a home. Uh, the caller told a dispatch a man, John Armstrong, chased not, not from the famous Armstrong family, I will reveal that, uh, chased her down a street with a gun and fired shots at her and her father. Arriving, police quickly arrested Armstrong, began investigating, uh, reports say. Investigators learned a, the family was hosting a game night and drinking alcohol, and during a Monopoly game, a fight broke out between Armstrong and his stepfather. The game board was flipped, furniture was overturned, and a family member was uh, told them to take the fight outside. Yeah, not break up the fight. Just no, do me a favor yeah. outside. So, uh, uh, let's see, uh, when, uh, 
Armstrong got cut in the head. The melee escalated. Again, melee. It's a word we don't use enough here, Barry. Escalated. The station said. Then Armstrong pulled out a gun and chased the stepfather and stepsister down the street. Good times were had by all, Barry. Florida man or not. Well, we should say this story is 100% Florida man. But I'm concerned that you might be trying to swerve on this one. Whose house? Swerve's house. I'm going to – shit. My heart says this is Florida, though, but I just feel like you yeah, had a Florida story. So. Yeah. yeah. All right. I'm going to – fuck it. I'm going to roll the dice. This this wound up taking place in Florida. Tulsa, Oklahoma, where the winds go whistling down the plane. By the way, Barry, this is a good time for me to uh, remind you that you made a promise to me the other day regarding a certain television program. Well, guess who watched the first two episodes of Thank that show? Thank you. Guess there who you watched go. the third episode before we started recording? And – as good I, as the first oh two. Oh my God, Barry! There, there is a scene where let's just say he is taking his driving test, and gunfire begins to erupt in the middle of his driving test, and the instructor is horrified. Folks, we are talking about the new sliced alone uh, TV show called Tulsa that's on Amazon Prime. I'm going to put this out there, Barrows. Tell me what you think, other than say Rocky. What sure. film that Sylvester Stallone has made do you think he did his best acting in? Now, Sly's a movie star. He's not necessarily an actor, but what movie do you True. think he really did good acting in? I mean, I'll, I'll say probably Copland. That was probably what I was going to go to. Yeah. He is so fucking good oh, great. in this yeah. show acting, and yeah. that's what's great, and it, it's good. And he's because, having fun. Yes, right? you can tell. This is yep. – I told – I told. I will have to quantify this, uh, and you'll understand. Mr. Rose, I said, this show reminds me a lot of the TV show Barry uh, on HBO because there's action that happens, but there's also a very dark comedic element to this show. There's some very funny stuff that happens. Uh, there's uh, there's a, uh, an episode where uh, Stallone gets, uh, gets high on uh, some THC-infused salsa. And he like <laughs> that was breaking great. out laughing. Wasn't that a great scene? <laughs> that was great. And that he said, really this was. might be the best salsa I've ever had in my life. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it is, man, I can't recommend the, at least the first three episodes. I cannot recommend the show Tulsa with sliced alone enough. Anyway, that was the end of our Florida man or not segment. Perfect segue, Barry. You know, I'm the king of fucking segues. Uh, let's see, uh, Barry, right now, why don't we go to our top 10 movie plot twist? Barry, I know there's nothing you love more than a good movie list. And oh, yeah. courtesy of the website wealthofgeeks.com. I know you're a big fan. Uh, check it out all the time. You. Oh, yeah. Barry, top 10 movies with the greatest plot twist of all time. So, Barry, give me an example of a good plot twist movie that you love. Oh, a good plot twist movie would be, there are several, I think, uh, Usual Suspects. Who's Kaiser okay. Soze? Uh, I like that. I can think of uh, the talented Mr. Ripley. I can think of also uh, Arlington Road with uh, with Tim Robbins. So, But there are tons out there that have great plot twists. Harry, Wealth of Geeks is going to show us which ones are the top ten. Uh-huh. We'll start off with Barry Rose. Have you ever seen from 2001 The Others with Nicole Kidman? I never saw it, no. Do you have any idea what I'm talking about? Because I've heard of the film, but I I don't know anything about it. Let's just say that uh, the ghost and the house kind of turn out to be them. Get my meaning. 
Uh, so, uh, yeah, no, she plays the, uh, the mother of two children and, uh, they are, uh, worried about what's going on outside their old Victorian style home. And, uh, they are worried about the ghosts that seem to be inhabiting the house. And in fact, the ghosts are them. The oh. very next number nine from 1990, the aforementioned Tim Robbins, Jacob's Ladder. Did you ever see that one? I did. I didn't love it. And I, I think partly, uh, was that early nineties, right? 91, 92, somewhere in there. Yeah. It was very confusing. It was all over the place. It was bizarre, but it ultimately, it, for whatever reason, just didn't really hold my interest. But yeah, just, just so, never so really the got article, into it. Uh, quotes someone here is saying that the story in the film is based on an occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge, which oh. was a fantastic short film. Uh, I think it might have been like a Twilight Zone episode, like it was. Uh, did you ever see Occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge? I have. It, it, Occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge, uh, I think was, if I'm correct, and I'm trying to remember, was the only Twilight Zone that had nothing to do with the Twilight Zone. It was a, it came, it was another story. Uh, Rod did not write it. Maybe that's what it was, no, but I know it was, that it's it written by someone out. named Ambrose Bierce. It was Ambrose Beers, right, yeah. who was a, uh, a, an author, a playwright. But yeah, th- that's an unusual, it was, it's a really good episode too, but I think it's the only one that he didn't have a hand in either writing or producing or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, for those, uh, of, uh, the uninitiated writer, this is a movie, uh, that, and again, it's like maybe a 45 to 50 minute movie that is, uh, it's, it's takes place in the Civil War. And it's about a man who's about to be hung on this bridge and he escapes the hanging and he's trying to get back to his, uh, <laughs> his wife. And it's all about the adventure of this guy trying to get back uh, home to his family. An incredible movie. And the fact that, that it's done in like 45, 50 minutes, something like that. Uh, if that ever plays, you know, when they do the, uh, the Twilight Zone episodes, uh, I think it's like sci-fi channel usually does it yeah. on holidays. Uh, if you ever see that pop up, uh, as a future episode, definitely hit the DVR button on that because uh, you're going to want to watch this. It's a fantastic movie. Barry at number eight, 1960s Alfred Hitchcock, The Fantastic Psycho. Oh, I mean, my God, Psycho is such a tremendous movie. And uh, the shower scene alone, and I know we've talked about it, too, is it's a work of art. It is a great movie from start to finish. I I would say it's probably one of the best, at least in that genre, it's probably one of the best films that was ever made. And, you know, it's interesting when the movie came out, there were so like literally once the projector started showing the film, they wouldn't let anyone in the theater because they did not want the uh, the plot reveal uh, right. to be exposed to the public without them uh, being in the theater to see it. But imagine, Barry, 62 years ago, the sort of shock. That would have been, you know, that would have occurred when, as you said, the, the big plot reveals uh, happen. Uh, the first one, of course, is the fact that Janet Lee, who is the most famous star in the movie, is killed like a half hour into the movie. Yeah. Uh, you know, that that was an amazing, uh, shocking turn of events. And because, uh, quite frankly, it's not something that occurs in a lot of movies when your biggest star is killed off that early. But also the. uh the unbelievable. How was Anthony Perkins not at least nominated for an Academy Award? And uh, unfortunately for Anthony Perkins, I think he was so just stereotyped as Norman Bates for the rest of his entire life. I mean, he made some other great films. Don't get me wrong. 
But, you know, he was one of those guys that just like, oh, yeah, that's uh, that's Norman Bates because he was so good in the role. Yeah, he was, too. He was uh, he was great in the role. And I think at that point he was typecast, right? Because I yeah. I don't think he did much else that was different. I know there was a, uh, a Psycho 2 that came out 20 years later, 30 years later. I don't know exactly when. But, yeah, he never quite reached the heights. And I, it had to be typecast because he was. He was absolutely perfect in that in that role. At number seven, Barry, 1957's Witness for the Prosecution, one of the probably, I think, if I'm not going to say top three, and I easily could, top five courtroom dramas of all time, an amazing, amazing film. Barry, did you ever see Witness for the Prosecution? I have. God, I haven't seen that in years, but yeah, I did see that. Uh, Marlena Dietrich, Tyrone yes. Power. The great plot reveal involves Marlena Dietrich's character, and it's a fantastic. And the story is really good too. Uh, Charles uh, Charles Lawton, I think, plays uh, Tyrone Powers' attorney, and he's he's fantastic in the movie. Just a, a really, really, oh man! I, uh, again, uh, this was nominated. I can't remember if it won the Academy Award, but it was nominated for so many Academy Awards, and it's a great movie. Now, Barry. I'm jumping ahead to number six because I know this is a movie that you have talked about before. And so you can really flesh out what makes this a great uh, uh, plot reveal at the end of the movie. It's 2003's Old Boy. Oh, my God. Such a great movie. The pl- Yeah, so you know what? I, I think with going off of Usual Suspects, that's kind of the default answer when you're looking for a plot twist. But the plot twist in Old Boy is uh now 19 years old yeah well yeah well and and but they remade it uh and i gotta tell you it wasn't horrible they spike lee remade it with josh brolin and it was a rainy afternoon and i said you know what why don't i watch it and i gotta tell you it wasn't bad wasn't what the original was which is korean but the plot twist is the kind of plot twist that you'll think about the rest of the day and the days coming uh after that as well. And at, at night, you'll wake up thinking about it. That might be, because that plot twist is fucked up and creepy too. Uh, I It's one you're not going to forget. That's an excellent, excellent choice right there. And well, and let's be honest, uh, you talked about the uh, the Americanized version. A lot of times with Americanized, uh, American film versions of foreign films, uh, you know, whether it be old boy and, uh, you know, I, I've talked about the way that uh, the Americanized version of The Vanishing, to me, yes. while it, it was still, a, you know, a good film, it wasn't anywhere near the uh, European version. And the same with old boy as you know the American version compared to the Korean version there, they, they kind of take it a different step. And with The Vanishing, I discussed that uh, something happens at the end that is so disturbing uh, that does not happen in the Americanized version that had uh, Jeff Bridges in it and Kiefer Sutherland. But old boy, I think that uh, Spike Lee, suffice to say, does not take the violence. Uh, and Spike Lee is not afraid to show violence in his films at all. But I don't think he takes it as far as the Korean version uh, did. Would that be safe to say? That is very safe to say, yeah. Yeah, so uh number five. Now, when this movie first came out, this was a complete mindfuck for people that didn't uh, pick up on what was going on. M. Night Shyamalan's uh, The Sixth Sense, Barry, I See Dead People. How how big was that line, by the way, for that entire year? It still is, Jeff. That's something that sometimes I'll, uh, 
you know, sometimes just to fuck around with Linda, we'll be out. And if we walk or drive past a graveyard, she'll look at me and then I'll mouth the words, I see dead people. She has no idea what I'm talking about, which is great. You um, sound like a real creepy date. I got to be honest with you. I got, oh, <laughs> that's an understatement right there. That's, that's, uh, yeah, but it's, uh, it, that that line was huge, and I think that line still is huge. People still say it. That was a big a big huge plot twist. I I think the movie is overrated. I don't think it's. I think at times it really drags. Uh, but that plot twist, and a lot of people saw it. I didn't see that the plot twist coming, but I know everybody else did. No, and you know, and people say that there are all kind of little uh, clues that are dropped yep. throughout the movie that you know really you should have picked up on. I don't know that Bruce Willis is uh, that big a fan of this movie uh, as, you know, I mean, he made tons of money. But I, I think afterwards, not that he tried to distance himself from it the way he did uh, some of his films, but I don't think he em- fully embraced it the way he's, uh, he might have a, a good uh, action uh, film star uh, movie that took place at Nakatomi Towers. But, uh, you know, so uh, the other thing is, I don't know that M. Night Shyamalan ever made a movie that was even close to this one. So he, he, he made a couple of good ones. I mean, he's a very polarizing director. Some people love his movies. A lot of other people don't. And I, I think his move, I don't think they're great. He made the movie Split, which I thought was, I think that's his so best that was, movie. That was by the sequel far. to Unbreakable, right? No. So Split, <sighs> there was a sequel to Unbreakable, which brought in Two or three of Shyamalan's movies, Split being one of them, I forget what that shattered something. It was one with uh, Clarence Williams the third. No, the, it was uh, Samuel L. Jackson played uh, Samuel L. Jackson. Mr. Why am I going? Glass, yeah, or whatever. Yeah, Mr. Glass because his bones are brittle like glass. Yeah. Split was the one, and I forget the actor's name, but boy, was this guy great. He had a split personality, and uh, he had he had several split personalities. Is it James McAvoy. I think it was. My God, is this guy great. What an act. I had no idea who he was before I saw this movie. I think it was 2017. And when I saw the movie, I was just blown away. Great story. All takes place locally within the Philadelphia region. But just, yeah, spectacular. I think that's Shyamalan's best film. He's yeah. made a couple others no, that no, are okay. I, but a lot I, I of don't garbage. mean that, that he, you know, they're complete garbage. He made the one, there was one with Mel Gibson where, uh, and uh, Joaquin oh, Phoenix. Signs? Signs that like, I, I'm not saying it was a you know Academy Award winning, but I mean it made it made good money and uh, you know had had an audience. And then there was uh, both the other one that he did uh, with um, was it Bryce Howard where they're uh, living the village or something like that where they're the in, village they're yeah. inside the woods they don't know yeah. that there's anything outside of it. Again, I'm not saying these were epic films that were at the level of Sixth Sense, but they certainly made money at the box office and stuff like that. But I think from uh, uh, our I don't want to sound uh, like an artistically speaking, I don't think. Uh, and as far as uh, getting the sort of critical praise, I don't think he ever surpassed the sixth sense. Uh, that's just my opinion. So uh, next, Barry, at number four, Memento from 2000. Boy, this is a big old mindfuck movie, Barry. What a great movie, too. And I think Memento was one of the last movies I remember seeing before my son was born. Uh, and I remember my my ex at that point being uh, extremely pregnant, almost ready to give birth. And I'm like, let's go see this movie. And uh, it is a really good movie. Labor or <laughs> I think I might have been uh, subconsciously, but 
Guy Pierce is a guy, uh, an actor that I feel also vastly underappreciated. Big star. And I, we, we talked about that. Big star over in Australia. Done a lot of work in the United States, but he's LA not confidential. That, yeah. Oh, he's done, right? Uh, he did, uh, shit, the cross dressing movie with Terrence Stamp. Guy Priscilla, Pierce. Queen of the Desert. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, he was just, he's great. I, I think he's great in everything that he does. I think Memento is probably, at least in my opinion, the best performance that I've ever seen him give a mind fuck to the end. And I gotta say the guy that wrote that movie, imagine trying to write Memento. Yeah. Cause they basically, the, the plot was told backwards. Yeah. And, uh, wasn't Joey Pants in that movie too? I think he, Joey Pants is in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, uh, pulled that one out of my rear there. Uh, number three, I'll bury the aforementioned 1995 Brian Singer's usual suspects. You know, what's really amazing to me is I friggin' love this movie. There are people out there that really can't stand the usual suspects. And I don't no. know why, because I think this is a brilliant film. What do you think? What, who, why couldn't you like it though? Like what would I, be you know, the logic and not liking? It's one thing. So my only complaint with this movie is I don't think you can watch it really more than once. I've seen it sure. twice and the no, second time, fair. obviously. Yeah. But I, where's the, the story's great. The plot's great. The acting is top shelf acting. How could you hate this movie? No, Stephen uh, Baldwin. That's how Stephen Baldwin's how you hate it. <laughs> exactly. Well, some uh, other people might say uh, Kevin Spacey or Brian Singer, who, Apparently, that's uh, true. You know, <laughs> right. had uh, their their uh, picadillos in their past that are coming back to haunt them. Uh, yeah. But uh, you know, um, Gabriel Byrne, uh, and yeah, no, just uh, who is Kaiser? So say though, uh, it, just an amazing, amazing reveal when yeah. the uh, the plot slowly begins to be exposed, literally like in the last five minutes of the movie, and you're sitting there at the end of the film, uh, the first time you see it, going, "What the fuck did I just watch?" Holy cow! So number two, Barry, The Prestige from 2006. Have you ever seen this one? I don't think so. Who's in well, that film? This was, uh, God, I'm trying to think. This this came out. I said it was a similar film that came out at the same time. Uh, hold on, let's uh, pull up the old uh, w, uh, uh, the IMDb here on this. And uh, this was a Christian Bale. Uh, but it's it's about okay. uh, magicians that are sort of uh, like competing magicians trying to outdo one another. It gets your uh, 8.5 on the IMDb scale, Barry. So, you know, right there that that's uh, generally a sign of it. Yeah, let's just say a fair movie. But, uh, yeah, no, that's a good one. Uh, but, Barry, let's now not waste any time because the number one plot reveal movie at the end, I think you might have referenced it, Barry. All right. Barry, what's the number one rule of Fight Club? Oh, never talk about Fight Club. Okay, so that's it. We're going to wrap it up because we can't talk about the movie, obviously. All right. But this, this again, uh, I love a good mindfuck movie, and this is a really good mindfuck movie, Barry. Yeah. Uh, Brad Pitt uh, and, uh, oh, God, why am I uh, fucking uh, drunk? Edward Norton? Edward Norton, yeah. Yeah, wow, Barry, the, uh, the end of this movie when everything is blown to hell, you know. This is kind of a, a wild movie, Barry. Whatever happened to Edward Norton, by the way? Um, I don't know. I mean, he's such a great actor. He made so many good films, and uh, he was in, um, oh, God, what was the one with uh, him and Richard Gere, where he plays the uh, the young defendant who's on trial? Oh. Blue. Help me out. So, is he kill the priest? Is that it? Yeah, yeah. 
I think that was Primal Fear. Yes, Primal Fear, which, by the way, was there a book go. by William Deal, I believe, and it's a fantastic, it's a fantastic book, fantastic movie. Uh, but, uh, yeah, getting back to, uh, Fight Club, Barry, like the, the end reveal, uh, about, uh, you know, Brad Pitt's character, uh, should we spoil it, uh, 20, uh, 20, <laughs> yeah, we can spoil it. <laughs> you know, I think all, we're good. It's all in Edward Norton's head, essentially. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's just, uh, tremendous, tremendous. So out of this list here, Barry, you got 10. Which one would you say is your favorite? Old boy. And, Old boy. uh, okay. yeah. I just think it's too, you know, so for me, a plot twist, what I like about a plot twist is that it should literally grab you by the shoulders and kind of shake you a bit. Like, you know, wake up, wake the fuck up. And uh with Old Boy, it was so disturbing, that plot twist, that I never in a million years could have seen coming that I feel it's uh that's probably my favorite. How about you? Well, you know, the real easy answer would be to say the usual suspects. Right. You know, this is not what happens with. The, all the movies on this list, but one of the things it's funny when Kim and I watch a movie, if it's a movie I've seen before, like it's something like, uh, I mentioned talented Mr. Ripley and Arlington road. And one of the things those two movies have in common is that the bad guy gets away with it at the end. Right. And Kim hates those movies. And like, if I get her to watch a movie where that is the, uh, the result and I know it ahead of time, she'll actually be kind of, pissed off at me for you know you you knew that was the ending and you had me watch this anyway because she likes the good guy to win at the end or or everything she loves the happy ending and uh you know so okay uh, (laughs) yeah thank you so do i but anyway i was gonna say come on (laughs) can't gloss uh, over that come on is that really what you're (laughs) saying so uh but anyway i like a movie that has an ending that where sometimes the bad guy gets away with it you know i mean that that's a nice little alternative to uh you know to your basic uh, film where it's everything is happy and, you know, like, uh, you know, everyone is uh, happy with the result of the film. So uh, I really like, uh, let's see out of this. Wow. It's going to be hard to go against usual suspects, but I think if I was to say one other film, I might go witness for the prosecution. That's it's just that good a movie. Uh, so anyway, so we will, uh, we'll post the link to the story on our uh, breaking cafe with Bowdrin and Barry uh, Facebook group. So we will ask you the question, what is your favorite plot twist at the end of a movie? Barry, just a quick reminder for the listeners, what is my nickname, Barry? Your nickname is The Booker. Thank you. And what does any good booker do in the wrestling business? He steals ideas, right? Sure. So I was listening to another podcast, <clears throat> not Arcadian Vanguard, by the way, and I heard about this story uh, and this comes to us, uh, courtesy of the uh, New York Post, bastion of uh, journalism here in the United States. Apparently, Barry, a man has decided to write a book, and this book is about his search worldwide, Barry, not just in the United States, worldwide, for the world's worst public toilet. Joe Christie, my man, this is right up your fucking alley. And we're thinking of you, Joe. So, Barry Rose, I know recently you had – I'm going to get to the details of the article before. Oh, right. which, by the way, Barry, you'll be happy to know, comes with pictures. Oh, <laughs> oh boy. Right. So you told a story about an, uh, an incident that occurred at one of the restaurants that you were a server or manager at in uh, New York City. Uh, you remember that story, Barry? I do. Yep. Okay. Uh, just quick recap of what happened there. 
Now, which which story specifically? Uh, that was one where why, like when the toilet exploded, or or there was some kind of incident involving uh, fecal matter all over the bathroom. So, okay, so there's a couple of these stories. There was the story. Uh, well, certainly I've done that on more than one occasion. But well, there was the story saying. that I told probably within the last three weeks of one of my servers, Leo. I won't give his last name, but Leo, Vietnam vet, great guy, great actor, went to take a dump, lifted up the bowl, and there was literally a foot-long rat sitting right there in the toilet. That's good, but that wasn't the one I'm talking about. This is the one where I think the uh, – I don't know if it was the maintenance guy or one of your your waiters or servers had come to alert you that there was an incident. I want to say this is when you were in NYC. Okay. Now, do you remember the story? That there was an incident of fecal matter everywhere. Yeah, like uh, the, the toilets overflowing, or uh, well, something. I mean, going- ha- yeah, that. But that happened. That was, oh, okay. you know, that was almost a weekly occurrence. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> so sadly, I'm not, yes. I'm not uh, bouncing anything uh, new and uh, exciting. No, okay, no. So, yeah. according to the story, uh, they said that the gentleman whose name is uh, let me see if I can find it here, uh, Graham Askey, who oh. friends call get this Barry the King of Porcelain. <laughs> Found the preposterous, uh, the the world's worst toilet that the New York Post deems the preposterous potty in the former Soviet Republic of Tajikistan. Uh, uh, this guy Barry, he went literally all over the world looking at shitholes. Like, like, you know, you and I, our hobbies wrestling. <laughs> you know, right. This guy wants to go to different countries. And see, did you ever see, because uh, uh, the first thing I thought of, I have not seen the entirety of this movie. Did you ever see Train Spotting? Oh, I have, absolutely. Okay, and, and isn't there a scene in there where, like, the one guy goes into what was described as the world's worst toilet in Scotland or something like that? I think so. I mean, it's been years, but yeah, I think okay, so. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, so apparently this dilapidated, horrid-looking, five-foot wooden stall that's moated by sun-dried poo in the nation's northern region <laughs> of Aini is the most repellent thing of all, according to uh, ASCII. Uh, uh, toilet users need to be on the lookout for crossing paths with deadly snakes and disgusting rats who have made their homes in the rock bedding beneath the stall of shame. And, and again, Barry, there's a – wait a minute. You know what? Because I am nothing. If What am I, Barry? You're a giver. I'm a giver. So Barry Rose, and for not only you, but for Louis J. Kippelman, I don't know if it's J or not, I'm just guessing, I, at this point, as we are recording, am going to send you right. a copy of what the aforementioned uh, uh, horrid stall looks like for you to uh, take a look at and uh, form your own opinion. And tell me when you got it there, boys. Uh, okay, it's sent. And there it is. I mean, okay. Yeah, okay. So the story continues. And, I and mean, by the way, let's, let's be honest. It's like right in the middle of the mountains, too. You know? Yeah, and it's essentially a sheet with like some some wooden poles or something. Yeah. Okay. So uh, it's a people, according to the article, people apparently use its concealing tapestry for toilet paper. Oh, yeah, Barry. Oh. Uh, the, what's giving you your, your concealing uh, your sheet, which is hiding you from people uh, viewing you, that's what people are using <clears throat> to wipe with, Barry. Uh, having enjoyed some of the filthiest bathroom facilities to be found anywhere on the planet, the toilet in Tajikistan has to be the worst in the world. It's the perfect hellhole, says Askey, who hails from Brighton, England. Shout out to you, John Lee. 
with no toilet paper available, the builders have conveniently built it with a fabric covering to offer wiping functionality, and it looks like the locals have made full use of it. Oh, man, Barry. That's so the story I think you were thinking of, if I was, it was I was talking about the bathroom at Penn Station in New York City, and there was a time, this goes back, but I told the story a while ago, was the sugar-free gummy bears, and I didn't have a choice, and I had to go in Penn Station. And Penn Station is, uh, I take it back, it wasn't Penn, it was Port Authority, which is trains and buses. Port Authority is, uh, if you ever saw one of the teen runaway becomes a prostitute movies of the 70s and 80s, it almost always took place at Port Authority. They would show up, evil pimp is going to get you, but it's disgusting. That's uh, uh, also the bla- uh, basic plot summary of The Deuce on HBO, right? Yeah. Uh, and I don't mean to reference Deuce in that way, Barry, but uh, yeah, oh, please continue. Yeah, yeah. But but with that, what happened is uh, this became the bathroom of choice for the homeless population of New York City. So there's a lot of bathing in the sink. Uh, so to tell you that the commodes and toilets are gross, they are. But if you want to, like, wash your hands or clean up afterwards, that's most likely not happening either because you're not going to want to go near them. So uh, it's interesting. I, I, I'm assuming that this person has tried the big restrooms of New York City, but somehow this – this uh I guess it's the wiping of your ass with the tarp that is around that probably is winning for this guy. So the guy apparently has a book coming out. Barry, the name of the book, Toilets of the Wild Frontier. I'm not, <laughs> not even fucking kidding. All right, Lou, Lou, like, job yeah, number this two. This guy, we need to get on. Get him on, buddy. Let's uh, go. Oh, you know, yeah. Lou needs yep. to work his magic here. Apparently, the 58-year-old has invested, get a load of this, Barry. on research and uh, began investigating the toilets after seeing a gnarly one while on vacation in Morocco some years ago. Since that time, uh, ASCII photographed the exterior of the most vile, vomit-inducing rest stations he's seen, (gasps) admitting to spending the absolute minimum amount of time to keep himself from hurling. Oh, Barry Rose. Th- this guy is a must get. We must do this in the memory of Joe Christie. What say you? Yeah, well, the, and the book should be, uh, put into Joe's memory, but I, I would, I think we should get him on because I, uh, I think we, between all of our shitting stories, we could share with this guy. This could be, it was kind of like when we had the porn guy on, you know? Yeah. Talking well, you know, it. I will tell you that back in the day, uh, when I was working at the, the beloved Hialeah Toys R Us, uh, right down the road from, uh, Gus Machado, uh, the, uh, the guy that was our maintenance guy always told myself and the other management staff out of the women's restroom, men's restroom, women's restroom always was more disgusting to have to clean. I've heard that too. And why would that be, Barry? I'm going to assume it has to do with their monthly visitor. Yes, the feminine products that were shoved into the toilet that would generally cause them to oh, overflow. Yes. Yep. Maintenance guys love when the ladies do that, Barry. So, yeah, uh, I think this is a uh, topic for a future show, Toilets, World's Worst Toilets of the Wild Frontier, coming soon from the good folks here, Breaking Cafe with Bowdrin and Barry.
All right, Barry, I think we're rounding the corner. We're heading for home on another episode, number 269 of Brick and K.V. with and Barry. What do you say? You're about ready to go home, my friend? Heading home. It was a lot of fun, though. Uh, Jeff, what do we got on tap for next week? Why don't you tell the good folks the big surprise we got coming up? We are going to have none other than uh, Vince McMahon calling in. Uh, no, I, I don't know what we have. Uh, we usually figure it out post-show, Barry. We do. Yeah. Yes, we do. So uh, Barry putting me on the spot there. So uh, uh, the Hulkster, Bret Hart, uh, Ric Flair, one of those three guys, uh, I'm almost uh, sure is going to be one of our guests. <clears throat> oh, that's true. I'll have to see about that. So I will say uh, on behalf of uh, our producer, Luke Kippelman, Gunny, I'll see you in the morning. And my co-host, Barry Rose, uh, I am the booker, Jeff Bowdern, and we will see you next time. Lou, take it home, my friend. Bye.